What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and this is Passing Period, which is a podcast extra that we drop in between our full episodes of All of the Above, because of course the full episodes are video episodes and takes a little bit of time to edit those and all that. So in between our full episodes, we drop these passing periods exclusively for our podcast listeners. Um, and we use this time to, to check in on stories or, or topics that maybe um, didn't make it into our most recent full episode. Uh, Jeff, what's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, Manuel, uh, <laughs> that is a complicated question <laughs> in, in, the, in the year of our Lord 2020, Manuel. Uh, it is, it, that is, I, I should have warned you up for that. I should have let you know that was coming. It's a loaded question, man. Uh, you know, the, okay, so the multiple layers of that. On the one hand, I have uh, employment. I have health care. I'm going to brave going to the dentist later today, in fact. Um, oh, wow. I've had many conversations with them about the PPE and precautions they're taking. And so I'm feeling pretty good yeah. about it, but also feeling like, you know, it could, it could be <laughs> dangerous as well. Um, so, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm doing, but I have dental insurance. So, Hey, I'm, I'm ahead of the game. Right. Um, yeah, I will say, you know, on the, on that level, things are good. I'm here with you feeling good about it. Uh, school starts next week here in, uh, in, well, in with the schools that I work with in LA, uh, the kids start coming on Tuesday and you're, you're starting, I think on Monday. So it Monday. is, yep. it is, uh, you know, maybe a strange mix of like butterflies and like excitement and oh my god what are we <laughs> what exactly are we gonna do uh so yes all that I, how about you man <laughs> yeah man it's it's wild we'll see what happens monday i mean we're you know i'm thankful that we're fully virtual so part of me feels like i can't complain too much because like there's teachers i see you know i see them online you know talking about their their in-person schooling and stuff and it's just like damn i, I couldn't imagine being in a room full of students at this time with so much going on um so, you know, I guess uh, I should be thankful that we're fully online. However, everything about it is fully a mess. And it's been a, a real disappointment for me personally, um, kind of seeing what we've learned since spring, which evidently is not much at all. Mm. But uh, we'll see, you know, me and my me and my students will will um, do the best that we can. And, and I'll definitely do the best to, to meet them where they're at and provide opportunities for them to, to heal and grow and learn and, and all that. So I'm excited to see them for sure, because... The adults have been letting me down a lot lately, mm. so I'll, I'll like to see my students on screen again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so with that in mind, I mean, you know, there's been so much talk over the summer and actually, you know, going back to last spring about how, like, this might be a moment to rethink some of the um, elements of our profession and some of the elements of schooling that, you know, have been in place for for so many generations. And, you know, there's been talk about reimagining school and talk about you know, um, just like not going back to what we had before. Yet, as I sit here, as we plan for distance learning on Monday, so much of what I'm experiencing within my work context is just a digital version of what we had before. Um, there's not a lot of reimagining going on, and I definitely think that's a problem. So, so Jeff, man, maybe we, uh, we should touch on that a little bit about, you know, just the reminder that this is a prime opportunity to enhance schooling in our profession and and break away from the structures that we have been so so addicted to um over these these last decades and generations 
so yeah, so what 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 are your thoughts right now about you know schooling as it is and, and schooling where where it should be um, when this moment is is finally well I don't know if the moment will ever be done but when this moment is finally sort of uh, allowed us to be in a new and better place. Yeah, man, I you know. It, this is such an interesting time because uh, on the one hand, there's so much to do. It feels paralyzing uh, to, to some degree. And on the other hand, it feels like the most open moment to serious change and innovation that that we've ever had, or at least, you know, in our time as educators ever had. And so, you know, I, I've just been having so many conversations with people lately that have made me really think that you know at least from from my vantage point uh if i had one thing i could <laughs> i could you know will into being this year uh in our schools it would be uh a a healthy reframing of how we use the standards um and you know connected to this i think is like an expansion of what we mean by standards and i've been i feel like i've been orbiting around Goldie Muhammad a lot uh, lately, um, you know, yeah. uh, you know, reading her book and uh, having a chance to connect with her and hear her speak. And, um, and, you know, her, one of her central points around just like the standards are incomplete, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with having kids, you know, trace the development of a character throughout a text over time. And, you know, uh, draw sort draw information from multiple sources to synthesize into another idea and these sorts of things that are in the Common Core standards, but they're incomplete, right? They're not addressing the needs of the community and these, and these other things. So, um, so stipulating that, I would also just say, uh, I think for so long we have just we have misused the standards as a tool. We have thought of. Um, whether we intended to do this or whether people just kind of fell into this because of how the pressures of the system exist around them, we've fallen into this way of being where we have we have been thinking that the kind of purpose of school is to create people who can demonstrate proficiency on standards. And I think we need to pivot away from that to say the purpose of school is to help young people grow and develop and find their passions and their talents and, you know, uh, you know, practice working hard at something, getting better at it and, you know, um, taking risks in a safe context and, you know, and understanding how that can help you grow, um, you know, making mistakes and learning from them, you know, and, and, and all of the fullness of that, of that phrase. And, um, and I think, if we start there and we say, okay, what would it look like to know if our kids are doing those things, right? If our kids are making progress towards that, what kind of learning experiences would we want kids to have? I guarantee you for the vast majority of, of that conversation, the answer is not going to be a, a single sitting high stakes test. And again, I'm not somebody who believes there's no role for those kinds of tests in our in our field. But, you know, we would be saying like, especially in this kind of moment with a pandemic and a racial reckoning uprising and, you know, massive wealth inequality and and uh, climate change and, you know, um, like the severity of severe weather and, you know, the environmental racism intersections of that and all these big things we need to be thinking about, 
and working on and solving real problems in our community that what we'd be having kids do is talk about really meaningful stuff and develop their ideas, right? And come up with solutions and work on problems in their own community, right? And of course they need to learn to read and write and, you know, problem solving skills and all these sorts of things along the way. But what they'd be doing wouldn't be practicing test items, you know? What they'd be doing is actually writing, (laughs) right? And what they'd be doing is like talking about ideas and debating them back and forth, right? And they'd be, you know, uh, expanding the walls of school, right? And thinking about like what learning opportunities are there in the community that we can connect to and bring back with us into the school, right? And so... And then we would use the standards, right? We'd use the standards to say, okay, these are the learning experiences we want kids to have. Are they rigorous enough? Are they, are they actually containing the skills uh, you know, and the developmental experiences kids are going to need in order to be successful in a college classroom environment or as an adult in society and the workplace in general, right? And like, that's how we should use the standards to audit what we're doing to make sure we're include, you know, so that we make sure we're not just giving kids crossword puzzles that have Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks as the words to find, right? And then saying like, oh yeah, we studied the civil rights movement, right? Like, yeah, it's not yeah. that's not good enough. <laughs> but we also shouldn't just be practicing test items where we're like, which of these people sat down on the bus? You know, like it's we, yeah, you know. We have to reframe how we use the standards. And I think this is the year, man. If we're going to do it, this is the year because we have the room. We have the room and we have community support, I think, to, to do it. Yeah. Um, the crossword puzzle stands are going to be coming after you <laughs> over that one. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And, you know, I, I agree with all that. So much of that resonates with me. And I definitely want to shout out uh, Dr. Goldie Muhammad and and you know, one of the big webinars, there are so many webinars this summer, but, you know, they weren't all cut from the same cloth. They weren't all of the same caliber. And to me, the, the peak was the abolitionist teaching in the future of schools uh, webinar through uh, Haymarket Books, where, you know, they had Dr. Goli Muhammad, Dr. Patina Love, and Dina Simmons, and conversation with Brian Jones about about these ideas of, of, of really breaking away from those old models of schooling and, you um, allowing space and allowing the right amount of, of love and, and focus and attention to community and to our, to our students, especially our most marginalized students, um, to grow and to, to be the little geniuses that they are. And so much of that had to do with reframing standards, especially, you know, cutting away from this idea of, of teaching to any test, like for sure. And, you know, if, if that resonated with you, listener, um, you definitely want to look forward to our next episode because we have the uh, Jose Luis Wilson of Educolor of a lot of things who um, who wrote the book. Um, this is not a test criticizing our our push towards you know high stakes standardized testing accountability. Um, you know years back before before others were really uh, questioning it as much. So, but in any case, um, so yeah, I, I agree with all that for sure. And, you know, I think for that to happen though, cause so here I am about to start a new school year and I was thinking these things over the summer and, and thinking about how, wow, this is the perfect opportunity for, for every teacher to step away from their, their normal content driven, teacher driven pedagogy and really rethink and reframe things because we have the green light. We have the green light, um, all across the board to, to, you know, not have to just power through all of our normal standards and all of our normal assignments. I mean, we have the green light for sure here in California. I've heard it from 
everyone from the state superintendent down to our my local district leadership saying less is more less and less is more and focus on on you know the main the main things that you want students to be exploring so to me that's like boom perfect opportunity to really shift my pedagogy um, closer towards a community-centered student-centered pedagogy but I just don't get the sense that a lot of other teachers are are of the same wavelength right now because there's so much pressure to catch up with the technology and to like be technologically ready for the online learning and to have all the bells and whistles we see folks making everything from their bitmoji classrooms to their you know canvas home pages and all that um which i'm not knocking at all i'm just saying like there's so much focus on the technology side of it that I'm really worried that there's not enough attention being paid by teachers to the pedagogy side of it, to the curriculum side of it. And um, just speaking for myself, I just really think that for this to happen, teachers need to relinquish a lot of power and school leaders need to relinquish a lot of their power because you can't do this without the community um, being part of it and being centered in all of this, you know? So like having those, um, you know, some of those learning experiences that you just described, Jeff, require the teacher to actually listen to their students and allow their students to help build it and design it, period. Otherwise, it's just another, you know, teacher-centered project that kids may or may not be into, and it's, it's just another thing. So teachers have to relinquish a lot of that power and allow students to drive the curriculum, which reminds me of something that I saw on the, um, Hugsy, well, the Harvard Graduate School of Education webinar with um, Jose Wilson and Dr. Uh, Christina Villarreal. One thing that she said was that teachers shouldn't have already planned out all their units and curriculum for this on for this upcoming year because how are you going to build all that when you haven't even met your students yet? You don't know what they want and what they're interested in, what they need. So how are you just going to go ahead and build something without them there? That's not really curriculum at all. That's just like teacher directives. And I, you know, couldn't agree with that more. Yet I see the opposite happening. I see so many teachers like already planning out their units and not really holding space for students to be part of it. And then school-wise, I see so many schools having their policies that just aren't involving the community at all. So I've always been, you know, against dress codes in general, but if there's going to be a dress code, it should be based on what the community feels will be an appropriate dress code. And I've already seen examples of schools that have rules about what masks can and can't look like when uh, when kids show up. I've seen schools have rules. There was a headline about some school that that um, has a rule against kids being in pajamas for their virtual sessions. And to me, it's just, again, just a digital version of what we've always had, which is the school being the, the site of the power and in many cases, oppression and students. In order for you to be successful, you just gotta get with the program. Otherwise, like you're just not going to make it. It's going to, you know, chew you up and spit you out. And I'm tired of seeing that. So in the case of like the school that had rules about, you know, kids not wearing pajamas on, you know, their Zoom sessions or their Google Hangouts or whatever, what have you. Like, I fully understand if, if you know, there's a concern that it's better for students in terms of their, you know, their daily habits and productivity and mental well-being to to feel like they are in school mode when they're taking, you know, when they're um, engaging in digital learning. And part of being in school mode might be, you know, dressing for school or whatever, maybe. Um, but that's not something that a teacher or a school should be able to, like, discipline a kid over. Like, if I'm a teacher, I shouldn't see a kid in, in pajamas and, like, you know, exclude them from the lesson for that day. That's a perfect opportunity for the community to be involved in what should the standards be, you know, because, you know, obviously if, if parents agree that students should dress the part for school, then, you know, that's one thing. But for a school just to have this top-down directive, it's, again, this that old 
school having all the power type of mentality, which runs counter to uh, what you just said, Jeff, about what we need to be doing. So for what for that to happen, this reimagining that you laid out that I fully agree with, schools have to open up their their arms and their ears to the community and involve the community, including the students, um, in what that learning is going to look like. And that includes teachers too. Teachers have to open up their classrooms and their pedagogy to what students want. And administrators got to listen to teachers when they say, look, me and my students are, this is what we want to explore. This is what we're going to do. It's going to cultivate their uh, criticality and, and identity and schools have to be receptive to that. But I don't really see that happening. Yeah, I, you know, I can't say <laughs> that I yet see it happening. Um, you know, I, I do think that as I was listening to you talk, Manuel, you were really making me think about like what professionalism looks like in our profession. And right. uh, and I think one of my, you know, one of my great frustrations and, and also hopes about our our field is that uh, we can reclaim our professionalism. Like I, I think we have um, we have lost large swaths of it. Maybe we never had it, frankly, um, because our profession, you know, teaching and educating in general has been disrespected for so long. But um, true. But the so the kind of thing you're talking about, right? Like I I would argue is not. Okay, so teachers just do whatever you want, close your door, and 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 that's it, right? Like, we we need to be able to execute on what you're you're describing there, um, and what I was describing, in like in the vein of what does it look like to be a, an effective practitioner who's who's delivering like ethical practice with kids, and. And that's where I, you know, I guess I also hope we can take some steps forward there, right? So, like, we can't just yeah. have folks being like, well, I want to talk about this, so this is what we're doing, you know, with, with yeah. like, no, you know. So now kids who are taking ninth grade English are getting 10 different things without any type of, you know, sort of equitable opportunity to learn across a department or across a district or right. a state or those sorts of things. So, but but I think there's a happy... There's a better place than our current place, which is like only implement this mandated, you know, this adopted curriculum that we can readily identify has huge like cultural responsiveness gaps, right? Um, and is to and is completely insufficient to the moment we are existing in right now. Um, so, I, so I think there's, I think what yeah. you said resonates with me, but there's like a professionalism component where I'm like, this is the time for us as educators to really like seize our profession and and do what is right right um and to like <laughs> make the strong Isn't that arguments, sad? like know? this is the time to do what is right like damn we should have been doing what is right but i i hear yeah you. i hear yeah because because um, there's some risk right in you know and some of it is like the power hoarding kind of stuff you were talking about but there's some risk in being like Okay, well, if we relinquish this control, like, what about that person down the hall who's like just gonna start telling kids to read the newspaper and write a two sentence summary of what they read? You know what I mean? And like, is that is that two sentences? Good lord, Jeff, could I just get it down in one? <laughs> well, you know, man. Well, these kids, you know, they they struggle to write, so 
gotta have them practice you know get ready we gotta build up in 10th grade to writing a paragraph the same paragraph they've been writing since fourth grade but yes indeed yeah Yeah. no i i definitely hear you on that and i you know i wouldn't want it to be a a, you know isolated teacher by teacher case because i know too many teachers that i would not trust with you know the full green light to fully do whatever the hell you know they wanted or said that claim that their kids wanted um but i would trust individual schools to have structures in place for teachers and um, community members to work together on examining their current units and building new units, you know, in that kind of sense. So, you know, in particular schools, like a unit on um, some, some level of environmental justice might make more sense. And in other schools where there might be a particular issue, a particular event that happened over, you know, over the summer that, that, you know, whatever, I'm just saying like different schools, it's not going to look the same in in each school. But that particular school, yeah, those teachers at that school should be on the same page about what's, you know, what's going on. And that page should be based on what the community is, you know, is most in need of yeah. and most wants to see. Yeah. And if we're and so, if yeah. we're using the standards well, that would be OK, because kids would still be getting oh, yeah. exposure to, you know, rigorous thinking and, you know, critical thinking skills and all of that. Right. But studying stuff Absolutely. that's relevant to their needs and to the, you know, to their experiences and, and to the kinds of things that are going to be a meaningful use of their time. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the perfect time to do that. Um, I, in my estimation, summer was the most perfect time mm-hmm. to get the ball rolling on these things. Because again, in, from my vantage point, we're already seeing just a, a full rush into the school year with just, you know, an online digitized format of what we've always been doing is complete, complete missed opportunity. And I just cannot find enough words to express like how disappointed I am with my own specific uh, workplace and district, but also just, um, you know, schools across the country. I just haven't seen enough examples of places that have really, really um, taken this opportunity to be creative. I have seen, you know, in terms of certain districts and schools, creativity with regards to schedules and how much workload they're putting on students and trying to like, uh, you know, make this pandemic learning experience a little more feasible for students. I've seen, I've seen that, but in terms of what we're talking about here, I haven't seen examples of that. I for sure would love to have any of our viewers uh, send over examples of schools or or districts where they've seen some real true um, creative reimagining of schooling above and beyond just like this tech, device or this you know whatever so so yeah man i don't know i i feel like uh just not to sound pessimistic and not to be the you know whatever debbie downer or whatever but like i feel like we had our moment and to a large degree that moment has already started to pass as we march into a new school year uh depending on how this school year goes maybe there'll be a reckoning maybe there'll be a oh yeah wait we really did need to shift this all because you know who knows this might be a school year that simply just like just causes everybody just be okay throw our hands up and let's really 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 rebuild and i don't want to root for that because that would mean obviously um some level of academic chaos and all that but we gotta we gotta rebuild into something better something new and the kids are ready for it i think the you know what we saw in june shows that the kids are ready and i was saying this in you know some of the discussions I've been having with folks around the ethnic studies curriculum in California, like the kids are ready. It's it's the adults that are stuck in these outdated modes of thinking. And um, one day we'll actually perhaps listen to the kids and uh, follow their lead. Yeah, man. Here, here to that. Yeah. Uh, you know what else you just made me think of, Manuel? Uh, totally random side note, but um, 
Who, sure. who was Debbie and why was she such a downer? And why must she be cast that way for all of human history? <laughs> you know, the, I, I think some of our listeners would have the answer to that. I believe it started with a SNL skit, didn't it? Or was the skit based on the saying, like, which came first, the Debbie Downer saying or the I, SNL I have no idea. Skit? I don't know that skit. And I guess in my head, it sounds like something that comes from, like, the 1940s. Because, you know, there's not that many Debbies around nowadays, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely an SNL skit, but I don't know if it was based on a saying that had already been around since right. since whatever. And actually, that sounds pretty problematic because I was just, um, you know, on the Twitters recently, and one of my favorite educators on Twitter, uh, Monice uh, Seward, she had a thread laying out how teachers are so often silenced when they bring up uh, valid criticism of the workplace and of, you know, schooling, they're so often silenced with this idea of like, well, you got to be positive. You got to be positive. I know at my school site, oh man, y'all are lucky. I don't talk about my local school site very much on this podcast because I have a lot to say and I'm not just going to air out our business. But I have been told so many times to just have a growth mindset about this. When I point out valid, valid critiques, valid criticisms, things that can be fixed before you know, all the kids rush back. I'm just told, okay, we got to have a growth mindset. You got to have a growth mindset, which is to me a silencing technique, a way to just shut somebody up and just move forward with the program. And as I think of Debbie Downer, Jeff, um, I wonder if that was what was happening there. If she was cast as a downer for pointing out valid criticisms and valid critiques, maybe not. Mm. I should probably YouTube some of the SNL skits and then I'll see that she actually was a downer. But I am curious if she was just cast as a downer for pointing out uh, valid criticisms of um, the experiences around her. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I know what I'm going to ask uh, Siri as soon as we finish this uh, podcast here, Manuel. <laughs> and I'll let you know what I find out. Yeah, I heard, I heard that. Um, all right, folks, that about does it for this week's passing period, which again is just a uh, all of the above podcast extra for our podcast listeners. But our video show, if you haven't checked out the full episodes on our YouTube channel, of course, the full episodes we also put on these podcast apps for you too. But um, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all of the above, all one word, has all the, the, the full graphics and you can see our beautiful faces and all of that. And we have a very super dope full episode coming up for you next week. You definitely want to check that one out. We have a, a full brand new visual setup thanks to the support of our loyal listeners. Yes, and we have, um, you know, word on the street is there 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 might be a, a kind of important um, bit of news coming from Jose Wilson um, on our episode. So you definitely want to be on the lookout for that. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show via your podcast app or Additionally, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all the above and everything, all the past episodes and ways to support our show are all located at our website, aotashow.com. Thanks for listening. Now get to class. <laughs> <laughs>